Hey, modern explorers, you're listening to Midland in our own words, a bi-monthly podcast uncovering Midland County's history as told by you, our community and listeners. Each podcast, we'll introduce never before heard stories and tales through personal testimonials and memories passed down through generations. Subscribe to our podcast today to further discover the history of Midland County and send us a note if you have a story you'd like to share. This podcast is part of the Midland County Historical Society's Oral History Project. For more information, please visit midlandcenter.org backslash oral history. Welcome. Today is Monday, February 15th, President's Day, 2021, and it is cold out there. My name is Randy Kawakita, and I am a council member for the Midland County Historical Society, and I am thrilled to be with Larry Levy to really hear about his experiences as an educator and so many other things. Welcome, Larry. How are you? Well, I'm fine, Randy. Let me just say my longtime friend and someone I respect and admire a great deal. Well, back at you. And so yeah, thank thank you. you. Those are kind <laughs> words. Thank you so much. Will you get us started by telling us about your background, where you are from, and then your family background? And you can go back as far as you want with your ancestors. Share a little bit of that, please. Okay. Well, uh, born and raised in Rochester, New York, uh, a boomer, post-war baby. Yay. My father had uh, served in the military. My mother had worked for on, on Staten Island, in fact, for a general, and wow. uh, and apparently knew about D-Day, where it was going to take place before it was known. Oh, oh. you know, wow. that, yeah, and um, and uh, my mom of, uh, often said to me that while those were, in many ways, awful times, she mm -hmm. said for herself the first time she'd ever been away from home. Mm -hmm. I should add that my grandparents uh, were both born in Eastern Europe, were from Eastern Europe, all my own. Uh, your mother's side? My mother's yeah. side was from Odessa on the Black Sea in, in Russia, what mm -hmm. was Russia, what they called Russia. Mm -hmm. My father's family was from Łódź, L-O-D-Z, in, in mm -hmm. pronounced Łódź, in Poland, uh, Orthodox Jews, all of them, oh, and... Wow. Um, and came to America uh, in stories that I would like to have heard a lot more about now. Oh, isn't that the truth? You know, they never said a, a whole lot about it, but bits mm -hmm. and pieces that I've, I've, I've put together there. Um, but um, very much raised in this large extended family. Mm -hmm. uh, a, lot of, a lot of great uncles, great mm -hmm. aunts, uh, cousins of various first and second and third and so on and my parents were very close to their parents and their families mm -hmm. and uh, we often picnicked at uh, Lake Ontario oh, wow. uh, as a kid and uh, and families and um, so uh, that was that in fact uh, my parents raised in orthodox Jewish homes where Yiddish was spoken as much as any other language. So they were both fluent in Yiddish, which I was not encouraged to learn, but I certainly grew up hearing Yiddish all the time. And um, so, you know, there's a lot of it without trying to learn, I just sort of picked up on. 
Osmosis. Osmosis, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And um, and then after the war, uh, when my mom and dad eventually moved just north of the city, uh, and I mean north by a couple of blocks outside the city <laughs> limits, to uh, west of Rundequate, which at the time was, you know, a farm community, really. <laughs> Now it, you can't tell the difference between Rochester and West Arundaquake, but then there, there seemed to be a, a more rural feel to it. And, um, and my parents, along with 11 other couples mm -hmm. uh, of the same generation, uh, the men, military veterans, all of them probably the children of immigrants, mm -hmm. you know, all mm -hmm. of them probably raised in Yiddish speaking homes, but all of them also, I think, especially having uh, served in the military, their lives had changed and they were looking for a reform synagogue, which there was oh. one. And so they founded one that is still there, uh, just, just inside the, just outside the city limits, Temple Emmanuel um, yeah. on Titus and St. Paul Boulevard, where <laughs> I got my, my Jewish and Hebrew education, where my father was president uh, sure. My mother was uh, chair of the sisterhood and, you know, so on, where I had my bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah and so on and so forth. And I would say my junior high school class was probably at least a third, uh, what I would describe it just like me in a way, uh -huh. uh, very much, uh, uh, which was not true at the other two junior high schools in the town. Mm -hmm. There mm -hmm. were three junior high schools and by far the one I attended, the one closest to the city was had a very definite Jewish flavor, which became really true uh, as as we turned thirteen. Mm -hmm. Barring bat mitzvahs and, yes. and and dressing up, I mean, you know, we dressed yeah. oh, up it's a to these dinner parties with a live mm -hmm. orchestra, and you were expected to behave and not <laughs> eat your peas with a fork and stuff like that, and not crawl under the table. I mean, you know, you just it was understood. You are a man. You are a woman. Uh -huh. You were a man, you were a woman, and you were expected to behave like an adult because the dinner party included, you know, all these adults and everybody dressed up. You know, you yeah. didn't come in sweatshirts or anything. In fact, my, my mom and a number of the other um, moms mostly arranged for a whole bunch of us to go to a dance studio in Rochester and learn. <laughs> I was going to ask that. <laughs> we took dancing lessons, I remember, with Fanny Croman. Oh my oh God! My. I don't remember. And um, and I don't think um, other than the Jewish kids in our part of the community were doing that. Okay. You know, essentially, when I got to high school, of course, uh, I had many many friends from the other junior high schools who were not Jewish, mm -hmm. and they they had never had anything like this. Many of them had not gone to bar mitzvahs or formal mm -hmm. parties, or taking dance lessons, <laughs> or wow. anything like that. Many of them knew very little about, about mm -hmm. being good. So I would say that's what passed for diversity in uh, West Rundequite. Okay. Uh, there, there were Jews of various stripes. There mm -hmm. were Protestants of various stripes. There were Catholics of various stripes. And um, in fact, ninth grade year in homeroom, I was struck by this girl and we dated on and off all through high school. And finally, um, uh, when I came home from college after freshman year, first semester freshman year, she, we were still sort of seeing each other. We'd written to each other a lot. And um, she asked if I would want to come to her, her home with her family 
for dinner on Christmas Eve. They were Catholics. And would I come to their home and then go to midnight mass with them? Well, uh, I grew up across the street from St. Margaret Mary's Church, but had never set foot in it. I mean, my neighbors, many of them were sure. Italian Catholic or Polish Catholic or Ukrainian. Uh, Ukrainians had their own, of mm -hmm. course, Eastern Orthodox. Mm -hmm. But uh, that was diversity. People of color, not really. I really think that's true. It was religious yeah. diversity. Yeah. In more, and that was, and yes, and those, that was the diversity where I grew up would be that, Protestant, yeah. Catholic, and yeah. Jewish. And yeah, ethnic, eth you know, different nationalities uh, of mm -hmm. European stripe. Yes. yes. Uh, but actually, I've been back in touch with and wrote a poem about the one kid in high school who I became friendly with, who was black. Uh, and he had moved up really on some kind of a program. He was growing up in Alabama. Uh, there apparently some religious group had thought he would have a, a better opportunity. Mm -hmm than the school uh, uh, available to him in Alabama. So somehow he came to live with a family in Western Rundequate, went to our high school. He was under six feet tall, but jumped center on our basketball team. <laughs> he was, I mean, the star. <laughs> we had guys who were over six feet tall, but nobody could out jump this kid. He was, he was unbelievable. So, you know, anyway, I got, I got friendly with him. And, you know, in hindsight, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, wow, um, well, you know, and I, but I didn't yeah. think a lot about it then. What was that like for Marvin? Mm -hmm. You know, Marvin Clemens, who. Where uh, did he live? Did he have a host family who. Yeah, he had a host who he family. he stayed with. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, I, I think mm -hmm. they might have been Seventh day Adventist or, mm -hmm. or something. Interesting. Some denomination. Yeah. I think there was yeah. a, a church. A, a religious connection there. Yeah. So, uh -huh. Interesting. Um, Very so, interesting. So, you know, Marvin was very popular, <laughs> you know, as, as a, uh, a kid who was incredibly poised when you think about it. Yeah, yes, that thing well, there. If the reverse had been true, what if uh -huh. the same had been true for me to say, pick up and leave this mm -hmm. neighborhood I knew everything about, mm -hmm. surrounded by people who were I was related to or, yeah. uh, you know, in some ways related to by background experience and religion and sent to Alabama to yeah. a school that was largely black. Right. So anyway, that was that. Was that. I have to ask, excuse me please. for interrupting. I have to ask in this kind of, um, what were your parents, what were their political persuasions? That's interesting. And, and um, how did that compare to the, um, you know, there was different kinds of, you know, Orthodox yeah. as well as Reformed Jewish friends, yeah. as well yeah. as the, all the different uh, flavors of yeah. Christianity, the politics. You know, I, I, I don't think my parents ever preached anything about, you know, be respectful of people of all faiths and colors. And I don't think I ever heard them once be that outspoken about okay. it, but their, their example was powerful. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about it this afternoon, wondering if we would yeah, talk right. about yeah. it. Because I remember being nine or 10 years old and uh, the doorbell rings and I go answer the door and it's an older gentleman, one of our neighbors, and he's mm -hmm. asking for my mom. It's during the day. And then, of course, the men all worked. The women were, by and large, stay at home, though my mom eventually got a job and rose to be payroll supervisor for the school district. But wow. back then she was home. It might have been a weekend, too. Anyway, 
so I sort of backed off, but he began to say to my mom, Mrs. Levy, what would you think about a black person moving into our neighborhood? Though I don't think he used the term black person. Right. Oh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, so right away it caught my attention because, well, I didn't know any black people at that point. There were none in my school, my elementary mm -hmm. or junior high school. I was aware that there were black people in the world, even if I was not aware of anything more than that. But I, I, when I heard him, the anger and agitation in his voice, and my mom, bless her, very calmly said, well, like who? Who are you talking about? And he looked at her kind of like, it doesn't matter who. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, a black person, Mrs. Levy. You know, how would you feel about that? And she said, well, if this person is going to be a good neighbor, you know, mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know, yes, yeah. then, then it's fine with me. Oh, there's wow. yeah, those deep roots that you have and, and, yeah. and to feel so. Yeah. What an example. I, I'm a step. Yes. For your. Well, yeah. 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 So um, what, a, what a pressure. He went memory. away. He went back and forth with my mom for a while. Mm -hmm. And she just kept she didn't take the bait. Mm -hmm. And finally, he went away in a huff and mom closed the door and turned around and just kind of smiled at me. Mm -hmm. And she said, he didn't understand what I was saying. But I did, I think, as much as I could. Mm -hmm. um, some years later, um, fall of my senior year. So I'm in, I'm in an English class with one of the best teachers I ever had. Uh, what's her he, name or his name? His name. Well, he was a PhD and that was unusual. Dr. Lewis Dickens, uh, as I later learned, Guadalcanal vet, oh. short, dumpy. I wrote a poem about him uh, because in his very soft-spoken way, boy, was he challenging. So he starts us out with Faulkner's Intruder in the Dust. And I read, I take the book home and I'm reading the first two pages again and again and again. And I can't make sense out of it. It's mm -hmm. one sentence, <laughs> one <laughs> long sentence. Later on, though, there was a scene that made a lot of sense to me and he did a lot with us we read james baldwin wow uh, wow next time yeah he was in his quiet way um but in the meantime i was unaware of this until it became public western rundequite and the city schools of rochester new york had been engaged in discussions about what came to be the first urban suburban exchange well not exchange but busing program but it's busing mm -hmm. yeah it wasn't an exchange it was a busing program for kids from the inner city to come out to the, the, the slightly northern suburb and attend, <laughs> you know, and attend Western Rendequite schools, which I think I can say this was true. We're by far the best schools in the greater Rochester area. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know that then, but later on I realized every year Western Rendequite High School had the best literary magazine, the best yearbook, the best newspaper, the best concert band, the best orchestra. I mean, A's, 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 top mm -hmm. flight, blue ribbon. Mm -hmm. Our sport teams were okay. We did okay. But in the academic thing, the most regents scholarships, the most- oh, And the regency market. tests are in New York. Yes. Yeah. Thing to contend with. Those are I mean, incredible. it was just, it was just, and I, you know, I didn't know this until I think somewhere around senior year when one of the counselors told me that some well over 90% of Arundaquate kids went on to college. Wow. I mean, That's, so yeah. 
you know, mm-hmm. there, there was that. I, I wasn't aware of that. So uh, they were engaged in that kind of a conversation. And my dad, who had been president of a synagogue in the community, mm-hmm. had been chairman of the town recreation commission, had been very well known, was asked to be a spokesperson on behalf of it, which he was. And I remember, uh, because I was editor of the yearbook and would stay late mm-hmm. after school, my co-editor and I were often working late. Uh, that, yeah, that's well, your book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all year. Yes, uh, yes. And uh, so I remember one night, I knew that across the street was one of the fire stations in town and that there was going to be a town meeting, kind of an open forum and that my dad was going to be speaking, and I didn't know a lot about this, but it was, you know, he was going to speak on behalf of this program, why our school board should approve it, and so on and so forth. So afterwards, I moseyed across the street, and in the back of my head, I'm reading this book by Faulkner, Mm. which is, in a way, sort of predates um, um, To Kill a Mockingbird, in that there Mm -hmm. is a black man accused of a crime, and there's a lynch mob, and the boy who is the spokesperson in the book has an Uncle Gavin who stands in front of this lynch mob and talks them down. Wow. Powerful. Yeah, yeah. Power of literature. That was my dad. Yeah. Oh, very oh. I stood oh. there oh. and watched my father in his very soft-spoken way. I mean, very, very few times did I ever see him lose his temper. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if he did, if his voice was raised, we knew <laughs> we crossed the line. But he certainly didn't that night. He was up there speaking about it on behalf of it. And there were essentially, you know, I didn't know a lot of the people there, but my neighbors, my townspeople, and I mean, some of them were red in the face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Were, and in the neck. <laughs> yeah, they were they were hollering a lot of stuff back mm-hmm. at my father, mm-hmm. who just stopped talking, mm-hmm. you know, waited for the noise to die down, and then continued. Mm-hmm. And I saw this happen a couple of times. Another time, the school had a very large auditorium, and there was my dad up on the stage and speaking to maybe a lot of the same people, but it was full. It was packed. There were a lot of people, and, you know, you learn about your neighbors. There were a lot of people mm-hmm. in the town who didn't want any black people coming from the inner city to attend our schools with their kids in their neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. It so, wasn't just the South, the middle. No, bit. no, exactly. It's, it wasn't just, it's north no. of the Mason-Dixon line. It really, and, it really was like lancing a boil, you know, mm-hmm. all of a sudden this, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, the lawns are mowed, the trees are nice, it's shady mm-hmm. streets and so on and so Happy forth. Stuff. I mean, I would say, you know, a lot of people worked at Kodak, mm-hmm. uh, sure. you know, in sure. Runway. It was a short drive mm-hmm. from this town across mm-hmm. the Genesee River to Kodak. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so a powerful mm-hmm. lesson from my senior year. And, um, and of course, then listening to and paying more attention to Dr. Dickens and what he was asking us to read, never preaching. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I remember he did something that later on when I became a teacher, I would have been very reluctant to do. I, I, I really put a lot of faith in student enthusiasms and finding their own direction. If there was a project 
I didn't want to give them too much direction and tell them what to do, but I would give them the opportunity. And the eye search paper, stuff like that. I'm not sure. Yeah, if you're, right. You're, anyway. oh, oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So, um, but Dr. Dickens, uh, probably around when we were reading uh, James Baldwin and stuff, he, he was going to assign us all projects that he wanted us to research uh, and uh, uh, write up a paper and, and make a report to the class. And he assigned me the, um, the Nation of Islam, Malcolm X and the Nation of Islam. I was assigned. I knew nothing about it. But of course, I... What, what year is, is uh, this would, Malcolm X would have still been alive? Fall, fall of 1964. Okay, so he's still yeah. alive until yeah. January, oh, yeah. February of 65. That winter. Know, so I learned what I could about um, Elijah Muhammad and the Nation of Islam and about Malcolm X, his disciple. Um, and, and their their break, did, was it included? Well, was the break, that, I don't research think it that at the time. Yet, but but later on when the break did occur, uh-huh. I, I read up about that too. And, and I thought about it again when Yitzhak Rabin was assassinated in Israel. Mm. That yeah. the in both cases, the the person um, uh, be, be committing the murder mm-hmm. had was, been a, was someone in the fold, in the fold and close and a yeah. mentor, mentor uh-huh. yeah, which yeah, is such somebody, a... somebody who felt um, Malcolm X was veering away from the hardline nation of Islam. Yes. You know, he'd gone off to Mecca where he'd gone off to Mecca and there were discovered... blue Muslims. Yes, they were blind Muslims. They were that you know, were very had different points of oh yeah. It was yeah. Such a, uh-huh. He was he was a changed man and mm-hmm. that did not sit well. So they gunned him down. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the same way that, you know, fast forward, Yitzhak Rabin really thought there was a possibility of some kind of compromise, and, you know, and so on. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's Larry, I think just just in the short time we've been talking, I am so impressed with the role models that you have been blessed with and then becoming a role model yourself. And the fact that they were not preachers, slam it down, you know, lecture, 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 but uh, really walked their talk, lived their values and how deep that is part of you. And, and I can say as well, Cheryl, your beautiful bride. And that I think that's what a lesson in parenting. Yes. And yeah. oh, oh, something so good. I have <laughs> to ask you one question that's sure. an aside, yeah. and I hope I don't. In this suburban town, 1950s, 1960s, post-World War II, did you, your family, your grandparents experience any anti-Semitism? No doubt. I mean, no doubt. I used to get asked that question at Diversity Day at Jefferson. Pardon me if if it's a trope. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, That that marvelous program that UNHJ Smith established, uh, which because of people like you who came every day. If I could wave a magic wand and give something to the Midland Public Schools, I would oh. wish that for every single eighth grade kid. Well, something like much. that. Well, I, I, I've I, always felt 
granted it's just a day but it's a day that many most other kids don't get in the, in their trip through a school district that offers a great deal but didn't offer them that but every year you know uh, the question that i was assigned you know which was fine was um, the roots of anti-semitism Mm -hmm. And the students would provide me with questions. And one of the questions almost always was, have you ever experienced anti-Semitism? And my response to it always was, I would look at the girls in the group and I would say, let me ask you a question. Have you ever experienced insensitivity from your boy classmates because you were a girl? <laughs> How and, many times a day? <laughs> yeah, and the response, well, at first, first time I asked it, you know, I didn't know, but I thought, I think it's a good question, you know, and, and there were some who would avert their eyes immediately. The question bothered them and they didn't want to, but some would begin nodding, you know, the, the more confident ones would immediately, and I'd look at them and I would say, does that question have a kind of obvious answer? And if there were people of color in the group, I would say, um, have you ever experienced insensitivity from your white classmates? Because you are black or Middle Eastern or Hispanic mm -hmm. or something. And again, the same response. And I say, really, I think if you're Jewish, you're going to experience insensitivity. It doesn't necessarily mean somebody's gonna burn a cross and put it on your front lawn. Mm -hmm. It could mean something that is just born of ignorance, that they will say things based on stereotypes without realizing that this is, this is dumb, it, it, its root is in something cruel and hurtful and limiting mm -hmm. and, um, but um, have, you know, and so did my grand, well, I would say my, my elders came to this country though they never talked about it. Mm -hmm. uh, there was an exchange I had, oh gosh, one of the elders had passed away and we were having a gathering at our home and I was sitting there with one of my older cousins more my mom's generation, cousin Nady. <laughs> May he rest in peace. But then mm -hmm. I don't know how it came up, but Nady started in, as I heard him do on occasion. Ah, but in Odessa, mm -hmm. in Odessa, the poets were wrote better poetry. The theater mm -hmm. was better theater. Mm -hmm. the, the Black Sea was beautiful. The, mm -hmm. You know, everything about Odessa. And at this point, I was probably about 12, 13, 14, you know, and, and enjoyed sitting and listening to, but at this point, I knew enough that when he stopped, I just leaned over and said, you know, cousin Nady, if it had been as good as you say, they would have stayed. <laughs> I mean, and, and I didn't know the worst of it, but I later read up what I could mm -hmm. about the pogroms mm -hmm. and other bits and pieces and that those were the major events the yes. everyday insensitivity it's the everyday hideous. flights uh i can't imagine that they did not experience that in odessa and in poland and and then later my grandfather my my dad's dad went to england briefly before they both came to new york and rochester new york and so on i'm sure they did mm -hmm. but uh i do also remember being about 12 or something and my mom asked me to go into her dresser, which was a treasure trove of stuff. 
<laughs> but there was some cash that she kept there and she needed something, somebody at the door. So I ran upstairs to get it and I grabbed some of the money and I noticed there was a folded up piece of newspaper, the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I brought mom the money, but I went back up and unfolded this kind of yellowed piece of paper. And it was, um, you know, it seemed to me kind of ancient. It was probably about the year I was born, 1947. Uh -huh. And somebody from the, a reporter, kind of a man on the street article, had gone around asking people, uh, how do you feel we should respond to the many refugees from Europe? Oh. Because... The fear of the other. Yeah, yeah. And there are pictures of these people who uh -huh. were stopped and asked... And what they had, yeah, yeah. So no, no, that's your compassion, and that's that's the what they had left or forced to leave from the bombed out situation, yeah. the Europe, the destruction, and yeah. trying to to go to a place for safety and security, yeah. and yet there's so the, here's here's my grandmother, you know, mm -hmm. here's a picture of her, and she was in the know, paper. In the, they had stopped and asked oh, her. Now, oh. you know, they spoke English, heavily accented, oh. but, you know, their English was adequate. So he had stopped and asked her, um, uh, you know, Mrs. Rivenson, you know, my mother's mm -hmm. maiden name, you know, Mrs. Rivenson, you know, so so how do you feel about this? And there is a, a longer piece, but there's her picture and there's a little snippet of what she had said. You have to help people. Yes, yes. Bless, bless her heart. You have yes. to. That that's what we are here for. Thank you. Well, Again. so let me fast forward. Mm -hmm. I have a cousin raised in Rochester, across the city, raised Orthodox. Oh. Attended Orthodox because half our family was. He, he, in my generation, he was still raised as an Orthodox Jew. Wow. So okay. his, his, his life as a Jew has yeah. been very different than mine because yeah. mine was, you know, very non-traditional. But at any, at any rate, we would see each other at family gatherings and so on. And we reconnected a few years ago, uh, a retired research librarian living in Cleveland. And, oh. and I don't know, he had seen some of the things I had posted. Read uh, your poetry, maybe? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Well, he has now, I think. But this would have been right around the time, um, you know, not that long ago. I want to say six, uh -huh. seven years ago. Okay. Yeah. Uh, at any rate, whatever I had said was critical of the Republicans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It might have been mm -hmm. after Trump had become president. It okay. might have been 2016. Mm -hmm. Anyway, 20. he, he, he private messaged me and said, I just want you to know, cousin, that if you were to say those things in front of the, the national Jewish Republicans, you would get a very different response. So I sat on that for a couple of days, thinking about it. And then I wrote him back and I said, you know what, cousin? I'll tell you what, I didn't even know there was a National Jewish Republican. I said, you let me know the next time the National Jewish Republicans are having their national convention and lead me into that auditorium and show me where the stage is and the microphone. And I will get up behind that microphone and I will ask one question. Mm -hmm. I don't care if that auditorium has thousands of people in it. If they are Jews, I'm going to ask them, tell me where your people came from. Oh. And oh. then 
the room will get very quiet and I'll say, you don't have to answer because I know where your people came from. They came from the same place my people came from. And how you can now turn your back on people in need who are in the same boat that our people were in and were often denied. We're often denied safe haven anywhere. I would say, Turn back. Talk about a, a question that non-Jews have asked me over the years teaching the Holocaust class. Why didn't they get out? And okay. my response is like, where? Mm-hmm. Where would the where would you have them go? You know, when you read Anne Frank, you realize you know that Otto Frank thought he was saving his family by moving to Amsterdam. Amsterdam, yes. And of course, you know, I remember reading that in school, thinking not far enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, not far enough. And, um, you know, wherever you went to France, not far enough. Far enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so at any rate, um, when I started posting things on Facebook about Trump, I heard from high school friends, somebody said something about, why are, why, why do you, uh, why are you so angry with him? One, mm-hmm. one longtime friend, kindergarten through high school, wow. a Vietnam vet, in fact. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. I just wrote back, Ellen, I think the, the real question is, why aren't you angry with him? Good for you. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, you've known me all your life. You're it matches. Your, your politics match with <laughs> your values. Yeah. Well, I mean, it isn't like I w- rolled out of bed in 2016 and decided to hate this guy. Mm-hmm. For one, I'd already known something about him that even right. when he declared himself a candidate, I thought, well, this guy's going to get shot down on his his record as a businessman, his his loose cannon of a mouth. His my, med- yeah, so many. My, my sister who did her graduate work and worked and has lived in Warwick, New York, and yeah. um, had always thought that, oh, they, there's no way, and knew that yeah. there's no way he's going to win the nomination and she kind of said it's that's not going to happen so for new yorkers to be surprised that was such for me uh, for me it wasn't something that just all of a sudden occurred i would say you know decades of um immersing myself in holocaust history and literature Mm -hmm. where at Mm -hmm. first i began to see other people not me Mm -hmm. posting things on facebook about uh, Trump reminding them of the fascism of the 30s and people saying, oh, don't say that, that's ridiculous. And I didn't say anything for a long time, but in my heart of hearts, I thought, oh, there are parallels. Mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. are most definitely parallels. Joseph Goebbels' use of the big lie. Say yeah. it often enough, make it more yeah. preposterous and over and over. And he had a marketing background that right. he knew, keep it simple, yeah. over and over and the more outrageous the better and that the common and this is this is his language not um, the common person will believe it and yeah. so there were there were striking similarities and uh, and all and, and the sad thing is of course also the person who has a harvard and stanford education like josh hawley and ted cruz mm. who right. somewhere along the line i would think trained as lawyers or whatever they were trained as I mean, one other thing Dr. Dickens did for us as seniors in high school was a couple of weeks where he just kind of inserted it in the curriculum, lessons on um, reasoning with logic and reasoning with fallacies. Mm-hmm. 
he taught us, you know, the, about rhetoric. About rhetoric, yeah. You know, and what, what the most common fallacies were. Years later, when my sister graduated from law school, uh, she and I were talking, and I don't know, something came up, and I said, post hoc ergo propter hoc. And she looked at me and she was, where did you <laughs> learn that? And I, and I said, well, I learned it from Lou Dickens. And I, did and you I have said, him as well? What's that? No, did she, she did not. She took, okay. uh, she was a journalism person. And uh, so there was a senior year journalism class that uh -huh. was probably every bit as rigorous, but it was uh -huh. distinctly in journalism. You had your and, own unique experiences. I'm so curious with, you know, coming from your background from Rochester, you know, yeah. New York, how did you end up in a Midwest liberal arts uh, religious basis. Where did you go to university? Your to Ohio Wesleyan University. Ohio, Sharon. isn't that a Methodist-based? <laughs> it is a Methodist-based. Um, there were a couple of people ahead of me at Arundaquite High School who I looked up to. There was Dave Peterson, who had been um, active in student council, active in, as a writer with the literary magazine. Uh, our literary magazine. I mean, you know, there's something else I wish that was more prevalent here, more role. I mean, my older brother, who was not a great reader and writer, but he would bring oh, home really? the he'd bring home the literary magazines. And I'm I'm in sixth or seventh grade, and I'm reading the high school literary magazine, thinking, oh, I can't wait to get to high school. I'm going to work on this thing. Wow. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, and I would see names, of course, of some of the people in my brother's class who I knew uh -huh. and some I didn't know. And Dave Peterson might've even been editor of it. So I sort of knew him. He went on to Ohio Wesleyan and this absolutely stunning girl in my brother's class who I followed around like a lost puppy in 10th grade only to find out from people in the class, they said, oh, she's, she knows you're interested and she's interested in you. I, I, I don't know. I was so backward when it came to social things like that, okay. you know, and uh, I could not even do much more than kind of nod and smile at her. <laughs> I never asked her out until oh. it might have been after after freshman year at college, but she went off to Ohio Wesleyan and we wrote and uh, eventually I, I applied, got an early acceptance and bit of a scholarship. And uh, they invited me up for a weekend uh, to, and I thought, okay. Uh, so I took the bus and went up there and uh, this Bonnie, her name was uh, arranged for me to stay in a fraternity house, which was an eye opener. I'm sure that was an <laughs> yeah. education. I would say despite <laughs> that, I still wanted to go to Ohio West. I like, you know, and while there, there were a lot of things I didn't know, uh, but I sat in on some classes. The classes were small. There was a lot of give and take, which I really wanted. Yeah. Um, it was an easy enough town to where you didn't need any transportation. You could walk around Delaware, Ohio, pretty much anywhere. And so, you know, I, I applied, was accepted and, and agreed to it and thought, yeah, I'll go there. And, um, and then the first week I was there. Yes, welcome. I got an this education. Is exciting. Yeah, I mean, the Methodist part, you know, I, I mean, I, I had a lot of friends in high school who were Methodist and Baptist and Episcopalian and so on and so forth. So 
you know, I'd been in their homes, they'd been in mine, I dated them and things like that. None of that really bothered did me. Did they have, excuse me, did they have anything as uh, required chapel attendance? Was uh, it ours was the first year that mm -hmm. chapel was not required. They still had oh, it. Okay. And uh, that didn't bother me. I went, though, oh. though many students did not. <laughs> you know, many of the upperclassmen who had been required to go didn't go. You know, uh -huh. I thought it was a waste of time, but I went and, you know, you had people, uh, employees of the college who would get up and talk about their faith and so on. I mean, I, I didn't find, I mean, you know, I knew who I was mm -hmm. and I was I curious. In fact, uh, freshman year, I, I went to a Lutheran service. I remember, um, I went to a Quaker service. Oh, wow. Which was just yeah. quiet. Yeah. It was silent for about 90 minutes, and then people got up and started to go. I <laughs> <laughs> started to leave, and I thought, okay, I guess that's what Quakers are. But I, you know, I, I mean, I was ignorant of most of this, never having been in anybody else's house of worship or attended mm -hmm. any. I, mm -hmm. I thought that's a good part of my education. Uh, what hadn't particularly been a part of my education, I would say, not to this degree, was uh, first, the, the week before classes began was a kind of freshman orientation. The campus was probably 97% Greek, fraternities mm -hmm. and sororities. I hadn't mm -hmm. given that a lot of thought. Yeah. I had spent a weekend in this one fraternity, met guys, they treated me all right. I treated them all right. Um, I didn't think a whole lot about it. Figured I'd probably join one or the other. But if you declare that you're interested, they, they gave you a program where you had lunch or dinner at, mm -hmm. you know, one of the, I think there were 10 or 12 fraternities. So I spent the week going around to the various fraternities, having lunch and dinner, meeting people, and, um, and halfway through the week, when I came back to the dorm, the dorm counselor, who was a senior, uh, uh, a real nice guy, in fact, later became a Methodist minister, in fact. Oh. Uh, Dave Pollock, mm -hmm. but uh, he came down to my room. Uh, my roommate was not there, which I think was fine. He closed the door and he's, he just wanted to chat with me. And I really didn't know him that well. We just met each other. There was something very warm and engaging about him, but he closed the door and said, how's uh, Fraternity Rush going? Yeah. And I said, you know, it's going okay. I'm meeting some okay people. He said, which fraternities are you interested in going back to? Because that's how it worked. They uh -huh. would be making up their minds about you, but you wouldn't know. Uh-huh. Right. You, right. Would, you would show up on Saturday or something. And as I later learned, you'd find out whether they were interested in you or not. Mm -hmm. And I thought, boy, that would be a lot of fun to go to a house and find out they didn't want you. Yeah. But um yeah. so I mentioned one house that uh, where I'd met a couple of people and the conversation had gone well and so on. And he just kind of nodded and said, Larry, I got to be honest with you about this now. You're Jewish. You know, I mean, at Levy, <laughs> you know, uh, you're, you know, 99 out of 100 Levies are Jewish. <laughs> I mean, so I said, yeah, yeah, why? He said, I wouldn't go back to that fraternity. Mm. I, and so I, you know, I'm thick or something, but I said, what are you saying? He said, they don't take Jews. I said, you're kidding me. In this, you know, this was like, you know, I mean, the civil rights movement was going on, you know, and yeah. 
and people are marching in the streets and getting hosed and, and the dogs sick down them in Alabama. And here's this university. The only thing I had really known about it before going there was Branch Rickey had gone there. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. And as a, as a huge baseball Baseball yes, yes, everything yes, when I was a kid. I loved baseball and so that on. That was a connection. I knew who Branch Rickey was, mm-hmm. and I knew who Jackie Robinson Jackie Robinson. And I knew that Branch Rickey had gone to Ohio Wesleyan, and I knew that he had been baseball coach and that he had been very disappointed when the one Black player on the team could not stay in the same hotel. This is like 1902 or something, but, you know, and, uh, and that shook him very much. I'm finding out here. And I said to him at that point, they don't, huh? I said, okay, which other ones don't? Are there others? And he said, I'm pretty sure. And named the others. Wow. You all know, of them. Was, not all, all of them. No, not, not all, all of them, but some. Some. some I, and he said, it's, it's part of their national charter. They won't oh. take Jews. They won't take Blacks. They won't take Asians. Uh, yeah. You know. And so Equal on. Equal opportunities for whites only. Yeah, at this at this Christian college. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Missed the, the uh, um, yes, the. So, oh. and, um, and um, you know, I asked Dave, which, so where do you belong? You know, and he told me, and I said, do you t-? he says, oh yeah, we take Jews. So we have a lot of the Jews. There weren't a huge number of Jews on campus, but uh-huh. yeah, we have, we have a number of Jews. In fact, by far more Jews in our fraternity than any other. In fact, it was Chi Phi, and the other fraternities referred to it as Chi Phi after the Hebrew letter that Mm -hmm. is not part Mm -hmm. of Chi Phi. Anyway, I went down to Chi Phi, and they pledged me, and I joined. And I would say it didn't take long before I realized, well, they may be more open than a lot of the other fraternities. They're still turning people away for the worst reasons. You know, and mm-hmm. I found that out when uh, second semester I was on a swim team and they, there was a second semester rush for people who would not pledge, freshmen who would not pledge. So there was a guy on a swim team from Muncie, Indiana, who um, I became friendly with. And I said, uh, would you be interested in coming down to dinner at, at Chi-Fi with me? And, you know, I'll introduce you. And uh, if you'd like, you know, they'll consider you. So he came, I introduced him. People talked to him a little bit. Uh, then everybody left mm-hmm. and um, they closed the doors. They went into the library. The president said, okay, you freshman pledges. There were about 15 of us. He said, you can come in and sit in on this, even though you're non-voting, you're non-members. You can sit in and see what we do now. So the first person to be discussed was Dave Owens, this guy I'd brought. You know, Pledge Levy brought him down and any, any impressions. The first thing somebody said was a kid from New Jersey said, he talks funny. Oh. Well, I, you know, I hadn't even thought about it. Kind of a Midwestern twang. But, <laughs> but here's this kid from New Jersey saying that a kid from Indiana talks funny. Um, and I remember that was for me, that was a line that was crossed. And I remember not right away, but... Um, I think uh, my grades were good enough. I could have, it was based on grades. I could have moved into the fraternity house sophomore year and I chose not to. I -hmm. took a room in the dorm and and just stopped going to the fraternity for anything. I mean, by then I was a member. I'd been made a member, 
but it didn't mean anything to me. In fact, so uh, just one day I came upon the president on campus and just went up to him. I hadn't rehearsed this or thought about it. I just said, I'm getting out just like that. And uh, I think, I don't think it came as a surprise to him. Mm -hmm. you, had, you had disconnected and so, yeah, but that I, was again, yeah. it really- He didn't ask me why, I wasn't debriefed or anything. And, but the reason I was debriefed was, I mean, I, I don't know if I could have articulated it then. I came to college because I wanted my neighborhood to get bigger, not smaller. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, I wanted well, to meet people mm -hmm. from, mm -hmm. from yeah. elsewhere in the world than mm -hmm. Rochester, New York, or, mm -hmm. you know. New Jersey, oh, <laughs> where, New they, Jersey. where they don't yeah. have accents. <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. You know, anyway. But uh, you did meet someone pretty special. Met her ninth and freshman year. So, so we, I think we're going to, if you could maybe share the, this tremendous love story that just goes on and on. Well, and, yeah. and then maybe we'll take a halt and then we'll have to reschedule because you, I, we're, we're, you've got lots to say and so much, it's just all worthy. And so I'd like to come back for another session. Well, I'm, I'm so glad you think so because, you know, it's, it's just I'm always, it's perfect. I, perfect. I'm, I'm so. worried that I'm babbling, you know. But nope, uh, nope. Yeah, well, that was one good thing that happened in the fraternity was uh, sometime that fall, um, they, there was a, a, a joint sort of picnic with mm. uh, our fraternity and the Kappa Kappa Gamma sorority. Mm. So what the girls, did, the young girls, women. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> young women. Anyway, all of the pledges, the, the sorority pledges and the fraternity pledges, we were piled into the back of a rider truck <laughs> which, was, which was enclosed, just a big empty shell, and they pulled the grate down. So we're standing there in pitch darkness, and on, out they drove, you know, somewhere. I didn't know where they were going. Anyway, they, we get out, and there's this beautiful place, uh, big green field, and a picnic shelter, and all of that. And so we get out, and we're running around, we're playing. I remember football and having lunch, and then it started to pour, absolutely come down. So the picnic ended a little early. They throw all the pledges back into the rider truck pull the grape down. And I was, you know, kind of standing in the middle of the truck where the smarter people were standing around the edge so they could grab something. The truck lurches forward, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of stumbling around when somebody grabs my arm. Who was that? Who was that? Yeah. In the dark, I can't see her. I can tell she's shorter. <laughs> what would have been, it's hard to, explain this to people nowadays but a rather forward move for me I put my arm around her and she had her arm on the and she, she said here just come here you know so I had my arm around her she in many ways a metaphor for our 50 plus years together she steadied me down oh, oh, oh my heart oh so, be still my heart <laughs> so we chatted all the way back to town and then the gate came up and I took a look at her. She was cute. And uh, off, she, big smile, big smile, huge. And off she goes. Well, we had these freshman lookbooks, pictures of all the freshmen. So I went home and looked her up. Cheryl Kern. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and then, I don't know, I just went other ways for the next several years. I mean, I didn't ask her out. For years? Several years. Yeah. I knew who she was. 
um, you know, I was meeting other girls in classes and I was dating other girls, nobody very seriously, but you know, it wasn't like I didn't have dates. I had dates. And then, um, and then I got to know Cheryl when we both worked in one of the dorms. I, 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 I needed, I needed money. <laughs> so given an opportunity to work in the dorm as a dishwasher or a food server or something like that, an ice cream scooper, I took the work and uh, th that really helped. Wesleyan was expensive for its time. Yeah. And now it's through the roof. I don't know how anybody can afford to go to Ohio Wesleyan. But um, so I'm working in the dorm and um, seems to me it, it might have been senior year. Maybe, I don't know if we did it junior year, but senior year, uh, I would come in and, you know, grab my meal, sit down. And, uh, and Cheryl was in the mornings, the toast girl. <laughs> Her family was fairly well off, but, you know, she had a job anyway. She would make the toast and so on. And, and after she'd finished, she'd come out and we'd sit and we'd chat, just a bunch of us, yeah. uh, you know, lunchroom and dinner room workers. And uh, I think that helped a lot. You know, I mean, I, I really liked her. You know, <laughs> I don't know that I wanted to date her yet, but I, there was something very, very appealing as I'm sure anybody who has ever spent any time around Cheryl knows, lively, fun, funny, uh, charming, uh, everything. So it gets to be somewhere, and we're into a senior year now, and Cheryl's younger sister, Linny, uh, two years younger, she and I were in, in Glee Club together. And uh, she comes up to me senior year and says something about, are you dating anybody? And I said, no, not really, <laughs> you know, and I said, why? She said, well, Cheryl, who had been very, you know, going with somebody actually pinned, you know what that is? Yes, yes. Actually been pinned to Artie Cowan, who uh, was um, about her height and a hellacious wrestler. Uh, I think he had been all state in Michigan mm. and probably could have wrestled at a bigger program because at Ohio Wesleyan, I don't think he had the competition and pretty much won all his matches and is probably in the athletic hall of fame. Now, anyway, uh, she had been dating him, but, uh, uh, Cheryl told me sometime after that, that the summer between junior and senior year, she had gone with Crossroads Africa yes, uh, and that had been life-changing. And she realized when she came back that she was tired of the fraternity barn parties and drinking binges and all of that. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't do that stuff. I'd gotten out of the fraternity. I was not a drinker. Um, just didn't interest me. And uh, so she came back and said to her sister, uh, you know, why don't you try and fix me up with somebody like Larry Levy? <laughs> why not Larry Levy <laughs> yeah I mean I mean you know that's they I, I don't know whether the two of them discussed it or Cheryl said so or whatever so Lenny was saying because anyway Cheryl has broken off with Artie and uh, I said so you're telling me I should so I thought about that I, I don't think I did anything right away um uh I knew that when I came back after Christmas I was eventually going to have to take this rigorous oral exam that English majors all took. And I felt very underprepared. So I, I was living in an apartment. I got my 
apartment all arranged for me to hit the ground running when I came back. I stayed a couple of extra days, cleaned the apartment, stacked the books I was going to have to read, had a bus ticket to go home. And the day before I grabbed the bus, I hitchhiked out to Marysville, Ohio, 20, mm. miles, 20 miles away and asked around, you know, got dropped <laughs> off. These people who picked me up dropped me off at, at Dale and Bernie Kern's house. Kern's. And I go up and I mean, I haven't called, I haven't done anything. They don't know me. And, um, <laughs> you know, I've never met her parents, never met them, but I ring the doorbell and Lenny answers the door. Well, I know her quite well from Glee Club. And she says, oh, I said, yeah, I thought I'd come out here before I went home back to Rochester, maybe visit with Cheryl a bit. And she says, oh, she just took off in the car to visit grandparents up in the, you know, Toledo area. I said, oh, well, that's too bad. She said, but come in, come in. So I spent the afternoon with Lenny and her mom. And then her dad came home and they've gave me a steak for dinner. We had a grand old time. Her dad gave me a lift back to Delaware and I took the bus and went home. And then I came back and maybe the, not long after I got back, I said to Cheryl, would you, would you like to go on a study date with me to the library? The third floor of this really brand new library was where I did a lot of my studying. It was very quiet up there. So she and I went up there and I, I had a lot of work to do, but I opened the books and we just started chatting and I just mean the hours flew by. <laughs> and suddenly it's like, we're closing the library in five minutes. I hadn't done a <laughs> stitch of work. I was just sitting there and we clearly were hitting it off. And we it, clearly, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> and we just saw each other pretty much every night after that. The, for the study date? In study the dates, yeah. We went uh, after so-called studying, we went to the, there weren't a lot of places to go, but the LNK was open till all hours, the LNK cafe, diner, whatever it was. We went there and there's a poem in uh, one of my books called um, something, First Date at the LNK. Mm. And it's based mm. on that. Oh. Oh. Like, like most of my poems, it's kind of um, faction. You know, it's, 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 not <laughs> entire, it's not exactly the way it happened but a lot of it is exactly the way it happened, the way it unfolded. And um, uh, at any rate, um, so about a month goes by. And um, for Valentine's Day, then Cheryl <laughs> fixes me, gives me this Valentine's Day gift, a union suit with hearts sewn all over it. <laughs> you know, long underwear, which I never wore, but I could sleep in it, you know, with a drop seat and all of it, with hearts <laughs> sewn all over it. And I thought, oh, isn't that cute? And then she had made me a heart because I had said tuna fish is my favorite food. <laughs> she had made me a heart out of tuna fish salad, which I, and she has done that every I say since. We, we on Facebook can testify <laughs> yeah. to this wonderful, wonderful concoction, yeah. what it looks like and how meaningful it is. For so, the two of you. you know, uh, you know, not, not long after that, uh, I, I said to her one night, and I don't know where this came from. I mean, I had a draft number that was likely to have to reckon with my draft board. At that point, we all had numbers, the lottery. Mm -hmm, number mm -hmm. was not that high. You were the age. Yeah, and I just, and I had friends. I had friends who died in Vietnam, high yeah. school friends. We, we, yeah. So yeah. I, I knew that there was that. I was up to here in debt. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, my parents had helped a lot, uh, but I had taken out a loan, you know, and uh, uh, knew uh, I was going to have to reckon with that loan. Mm -hmm. I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. You had, okay. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure, um, you know, what, whether I wanted to go to grad school, whether I wanted to go to work. Um, if I went to work, I hadn't taken the teacher certification courses, mm -hmm. so I wouldn't be certified. At any rate, I just said to her, and I think my exact sentence was something like, um, do you ever think about being my wife? And her response, and I'm quoting her now, she says, mm -hmm. what took you so long? <laughs> and which really kind of startled me. I was just throwing that out there as a hypothetical. <laughs> and she apparently had given it, a, and she swears that that night at the LNK, I had said something to her about, can I read you some of the poetry I'm working on? And that, that's what she said. Did she? Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> in hindsight, it was god awful poetry. You know? <laughs> but it's what I, it's the best I could do at the time. I did win a prize, in fact, senior year for whatever, some, some endowed prize and uh, was happy to do that. But um, she says that when I was reading her, she, her thoughts were, uh, uh, this one's different, meaning different than the other guys, I guess she had been sitting at Westland and so on. And she says, I think, I think I'm going to marry him. I said, why would you have thought that? I mean, you didn't really know me. Uh, but apparently she thought she knew me well enough. <laughs> and... And I started saying to her, look, I've got this draft number. I've got this debt. I don't know what I'm going to do after college. I mean, a lot of loose ends there. I said, I'm not really that. She just sat there smiling, you know, mm -hmm. like it didn't matter. We'd figure it out. Mm -hmm. Really. You'd be a team. At that point, we thought, okay. Um, and uh, I got on the phone and called my parents who had never met Cheryl never really even heard me talk about her a whole lot. Usually I called home about once a week, chat with my mom and dad. So I get on the phone and my dad answers and I were talking about this and that. And I say, dad, I, I got to tell you something. I, I said, uh, I've been seeing a young lady and we think we're in love and we'd like to get married. So my dad says, well, wow. He says, that's great. You're not, are you out of your mind? He didn't, I mean, my dad, had incredible faith in me, mm -hmm. but in hindsight, I think <laughs> I was such an immature, you know, no, mm -hmm. I mean, I had success in high school and college and so on, but really very mm -hmm. sheltered in a way, very naive mm -hmm. about a lot of things. But my dad just, you know, that's great. Let me call mom to the phone. Well, we had an upstairs and downstairs phone mm -hmm. and sure, suddenly sure. on the other phone, I hear mother just fainted, <laughs> which is my mom. Oh my gosh. And uh, so, uh, you know, we chatted a little bit and, um, and then we borrowed a car and we drove to Marysville and same thing. We went into the living room with Cheryl's mom and dad who had met me for a steak dinner. You know, that was it that they had provided. And again, we were making all sorts of small talk. And then I, it was almost comic. I stood up I sat down, I stood up, I sat down. <laughs> I didn't know how to do this. Mm -hmm. Cheryl finally mm -hmm. kind of put her hand on my shoulder and sat me down. 
<laughs> and, uh, you know, something like Mr. and Mrs. Kern, Cheryl and I have been seeing each other. We think we're in love and we'd like to get married. This is who Cheryl's dad is, right? And Cheryl is very much her father's daughter, so much like him. He says, that's wonderful. I think we drink to that. Let's have a drink to that. Now, Methodists in Marysville, Ohio, did not drink publicly, but <laughs> I didn't know this then. He went downstairs to the laundry room on the mm -hmm, shelf mm -hmm. behind the soap suds. Mm -hmm, there were mm -hmm. a couple bottles of wine. He I brought them out, cracked it, and poured us all a glass of wine, and we clinked glasses. And I thought, now, her mom and I took a long time to, to warm up, I'm sorry to say. But from the get-go, her dad, I think, had so much faith in Cheryl, his oldest, mm -hmm. you know, that, that if she brought somebody home, that was good enough for him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, wow. Wow. Wonderful. Yeah. How lucky. Wow. This because, is, this is yeah. just wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. And just to hear Cheryl's and now yeah. to hear yours and what a... And, and well, the day after Valentine's Day. So this is going to, I am, we have been on for a little more than an hour. Yeah, we and really, I think, yeah. oh, and yeah. I really want to get into, you know, your, your jobs and, you know, <laughs> at Delta and school boards. So I think we're going to take a, take a stop here. That's this fine. will be part one and we will set up another time and do part two because definitely you have a lot to share and I don't want to miss anything else that's there. Oh, Cheryl, oh, Cheryl, this has just been wonderful. And the, the comments that I've been getting on your podcast, I will share with you off tape, but so exciting. So part two coming. And so thank you, thank you. so much. And yeah. look at your schedule. I'll be just um, emailing you about when should we do part two? Well, Thank you, Larry. I, I'm honored. You're being very generous, Randy. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, I, I, I just speak the truth here. Just okay. speak the truth. It's such an honor for me. Thank you so much. You're Talk welcome. to you soon. You bet. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Midland in Our Own Words. This podcast is produced by Tridge Media Productions. To find out more about Tridge Media Productions or contact us, please visit www.tridgemediaproductions.com.